0: The service continues with the sermon. Again, the sermon is based on our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 4. That's verses 1 through 11. If you're following along at home, and certainly you can follow along in your worship folder here. And we'll begin with this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Food is important. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone. somebody tells you food is not important and you don't have to eat, they are lying to you. And if you eat good food, and if you eat good portion sizes, then generally you will feel good. And if you eat food that is not good for you, and if you eat bad portion sizes in general, you will not feel very good. Food gives you life, and God gives us food. And throughout the Bible, then, often food, life, and God are talked about. And we find in our Old Testament reading those three things. From Genesis chapter 3, we find food, life, and God. Genesis chapter 3 is the historical account of the first two human beings that God gave life to. And it is the account of them being tempted by another being that God had created. Was an angel who had turned evil. You know him as the devil or Satan. The devil or Satan is very crafty, and so he uses simple things like food in order to destroy Adam and Eve's life and the good relationship that they had with God. And we see how that was done again in our Old Testament reading from Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. The devil uses food to discredit God. And that term that Name for himself, devil means slanderer, and so he spreads this false truth about God in order to get Adam and Eve to doubt God, to lose their trust in Him that God would provide for him. And again, he uses this with food. The devil misquotes God to Eve. He says, "Ah, God says you can't eat from any tree in the garden." And Eve's like, "That's well, no, that's not what He said. He said just." Just that, that one tree in the middle of the garden. But the devil keeps on Eve, and he then brings up even life and death, and he brings up, well, why would God do that? Like, why would he withhold this blessing from you in this tree? And then the devil adds in, well, actually, if you eat from this tree, then you'll gain wisdom, and, and Eve listens. Eve continues listening to the devil, and Adam's right there, and he's just sitting there, he doesn't say anything, and he just listens too. And Eve looks at that tree and she says, I mean, yeah, the fruit looks good, so why not? So she takes some of the fruit and she says, Man, it's even going to give us blessings and open our eyes and we'll be like God. Which, Adam and Eve were already created in God's image, so they were already like God. So they take some and they eat it, they go against God's command, they bring sin and death and destruction in the world, and they ruin this wonderful creation that God had made. But the part about that that I want you to really remember is what God actually said. So if we go back into Genesis chapter 2, we see what God actually did say to Adam, who was then to tell that to Eve. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So God had only at this point made Adam. And then he takes him to this garden, a perfectly wonderful curated garden made by God himself. He says, here, Adam, this is yours. This wonderful garden is yours to work it and take care of it and to enjoy it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one tree out of all the trees. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So what was said by God to Adam and Eve is that you can eat from any tree except just one. So God had given them all of the options that they want, all of the fruit that they could possibly eat, everything that they needed and their progeny would need to sustain life on this world forever. As much fruit as they wanted to, God provided for them. He loved them and He cared for them. And in order for them to show their love for God, He gave them this one very simple command. Hey, see that one tree? Just don't eat from that one tree oh, you mean just that one tree but we can eat from literally all the other trees plus you created the entire earth with all that other good stuff for us to eat we can't just eat from that one tree? Not a big deal. That sounds really fair, God. And if by listening to you and not eating from that one tree we give you worship and praise, this sounds like a great life. You're a wonderful God. But that's not how Adam and Eve responded to the devil. They completely blanked on what God had said. And he listened to the devil. He fell into temptations, and the deadly results of their falling into temptation are still felt today. The devil continues to tempt every single person. You are tempted by the devil, and you are no match for him. He's way older than you are. He's been around since God first created the world. He's been watching people for thousands of years. So he's smarter than you. He actually knows the Bible way better than you do, way better than I do, than I'll ever know it. He knows exactly how to tempt you. And he doesn't need to sleep or eat anything to survive. He's always ready and rearing to go to tempt you. And he knows how serious your sins are. He knows that they lead you to death and he knows they lead you to hell, and he definitely knows that hell is real. No doubt in his mind hell is real. And to be honest, if you know all of that, good. And if that causes you tremendous fear that there is a being out there that is always going to be against you, and he's more powerful than you, and that makes you afraid, good. At the same time, if you didn't know all of that, or if you hear all of that and you're like, I don't really care, the devil is smiling at you. And that's not good. That's bad. Adam and Eve had everything going for them in the garden. Everything going for them. And they still fell into temptation. You're at an even worse point than they are. You live in the loss. You live in the sin and the death that they brought into this world. Again, you are no match for the devil. You are easily distracted by all kinds of things. But God is also in this battle. God is still here. He is still active in this. Weeks ago, at the beginning of the Epiphany season, we heard God the Father speak from heaven and the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus in the form of a dove, and it confirmed who Jesus came to this world to be, the Chosen One, the Christ, who's going to save the world from sin. We heard that at His baptism. Now, today is the first Sunday in this next season after Epiphany the season of Lent. And we begin with Jesus actually right after his baptism. Immediately after his baptism, we hear what he then did. In our Gospel reading from Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So again, at Jesus' baptism, the Father and Holy Spirit had just confirmed Jesus' identity and his purpose. He is the Christ but he wasn't, if you can picture like a caricature of a businessman sitting at a desk and he's got this big fancy title, The Christ. But he just sits there and hangs out. And he's like, this is a cool title, isn't it? But he didn't do anything. This is not Jesus. Jesus has that title, but then he, he lives that out. It is also his purpose to be the Christ, the chosen one, the one who would come and fight for us, his people. So immediately, God, not the devil, God sets up this confrontation this chance for Jesus to prove that he is the chosen Christ. And so he has him go out into the wilderness to fight the devil. Now, one aspect of this confrontation, again, revolved around food. So we continue reading in Matthew 4. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Which, again, all of you can understand how Jesus would be hungry after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Because you get mad if you're just a little bit late to lunch. You get mad if you miss that afternoon snack, right? You're hangry, right? Hangry is a thing now. You're hungry, so you're angry, so you're hangry. That's just one, that's not even, that's not even a full day. And then we read, so the tempter came. The tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Bread. Now, here the devil is referred to as the tempter. So the tempter comes and he tempts. He offers something to Jesus and he uses facts. He goes, Jesus, you're a human being. You've been out here 40 days, 40 nights fast, and you're hungry. It's a fact. You're hungry. He also says, here's a fact. You're the son of God. You can do anything you want. You're God. You created the entire universe. Why don't you just make these couple stones into bread? Eat. You don't have to be hungry anymore. His temptation is ridiculously logical hearing it, you're like, yeah, it seems really foolish if Jesus wouldn't just be like, boom, stone's bread, I'm not hungry anymore. Great. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus replied to the devil is the word of God, the word from the mouth of God. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus himself replies with the established scripture, the word of God, which tells us the will of God. God's will is also that we be protected, and so we give thanks for the many people that protect us in our communities. What a wonder it is that we get to be protected. There were no sirens to alert Jesus to the temptations of the devil, but he endured them all 40 days in the desert. God had sustained Jesus, right, those 40 days and 40 nights. God trusted in the scriptures, God's word, which you could also say is God's will. It's what he wants and desires. It is the truth. God wanted Jesus to be sustained. He wants to sustain all life in this world. That's why he created this wonderful world. And so Jesus rejects the temptation of the devil. He recognizes that if God wanted to, he would give another 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness of fasting and God would keep him alive. More than that, again, it's the spiritual aspect, right? It's not just bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God that sustains Jesus' life, both his physical and his spiritual life. So the devil tempts him and is not able to shake his trust in God. So then he, he runs with that. The devil says, fine, you trust in God, let's chase that rabbit. Next read in Matthew 4, then the devil took him to the holy city, so it's Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So this, if he was looking down on the wall, like on the other side at this highest point, it's hundreds of feet drop. This is like certain death you jump off. And he goes again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." Again, the devil says, fine, Jesus, you trust in God. I'm going to tempt you with overconfidence in God. And I'm going to use Scripture to back up my temptation this time. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, Jesus replies with what is written, with Scripture. And he quotes this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Jesus is an excellent model here of using Scripture to help us better understand another portion of Scripture. Instead of just taking one verse out of the Bible and going, what could this mean? I'm just going to let my mind wander with this. In fact, I'm just going to come up with some truths and then force this Scripture to make that true, which is not for us to do. God's Word is God's Word. So if you read a portion you're like, like what, what is He getting at here? Use other portions of Scripture to help you understand what it is. This is what Jesus does to establish the truth. Because the devil, again, he quotes Scripture. He quotes, This is from Psalm 91, what the devil had said. Now, the devil, being the devil, he conveniently leaves a portion out of the psalm, which helps us better understand what the <laughs> psalm really gets at. Psalm 91 is a wonderful psalm. It's very comforting. If you get the chance to read it this week, read it. It was written to give comfort to us in everyday life, in every aspect of your life, that God will be with you to protect you. Psalm 91 was not written to give you permission to be reckless and do unnatural things in your life, like jump off a super high building. That's not why it was written. And so Jesus did not tempt God by recklessly jumping off of the highest part of the temple. Instead, he honored God and honor God's creation with all of the laws that God built into creation, natural laws, like the laws of gravity and the limitations of the human body. And so he does not jump off of the highest point in the temple. So finally, the devil gets at Jesus' purpose. He tempts him regarding his purpose for coming into the world. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Again, the devil knows scripture, knows who Jesus was. He knew Jesus' purpose for coming into this world was to save us, to save the world. And so the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, here, this is yours. Just bow down and worship me here in private, and I'll give it to you. Rather than following God's plan for you, Jesus, come on. I'm not asking you to go and be betrayed, to be publicly humiliated, to be turned on by your own people and the secular world, to be beaten, and then to suffer an agonizing death one of the most creatively evil, cruel ways to put somebody to death, to agonize for hours on the cross. And again, that's all out on a hill in public. He says, no, just bow down and worship me here in private. and here. The world is yours. And to this, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus, first thing out of his mouth, he commands the devil to leave. I notice here a different word is used for the devil. Here he addresses him as Satan which means the, the adversary, or the enemy, or the old evil foe is what uh, we used in a mighty fortress, your enemy. And then again, Jesus defends himself with what was written. And he goes back again to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus came to serve God alone. And it was God's will to suffer and die for our sins. And we even heard that right at the beginning. Right after Adam and Eve fall into sin, God's immediate response is this plan to save us. Again, from Genesis chapter 3, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. These words, they continue to remain true today. There's going to be enmity. There's going to be a hatred between the devil and mankind. That's enmity um, between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. So good, the people who follow God versus those that are from the devil. There's hatred there. And the devil hates Jesus. He continues to hate Jesus to this day. And finally, the last part, the crushing the head, the striking the heel. So the devil strikes Jesus' heel right in his death. It was a real, horrible, terrible death. and he was buried for three days. But he only struck his heel. He didn't crush his head. Jesus wasn't out forever. He comes back to life. And it is in Jesus' resurrection that he crushes the devil's head because the devil's greatest tool is death. So if he hits Jesus with his greatest tool of death and Jesus comes back from it, he wins. The devil has nothing left. God proves his ultimate supremacy over him. And these attacks that Satan went against Jesus with are really attacks on all of us because Jesus, again, came as the chosen one. To represent all the world. So any attack on him is really an attack on us. Which is why Jesus fights the devil for us. Knowing that he is the chosen one. He wants to go into the wilderness and be tempted by him because he's not going to give in. He is going to win. He is going to smash his head into the ground. Which is why he finally tells him, leave Satan. I won. And I just proved it. Jesus then has saved you by resisting giving into temptation. In our, uh, today's New Testament reading from Romans 5, this is what Paul gets at, and he explains it many different ways. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So through Adam, we inherit sin and death. But through Jesus, the second Adam, we get God's grace. And Paul continued, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So through Jesus, we get righteousness, which means we get life, which means we will rule, reign with him in heaven. This is a gift. God's gift of righteousness to us means that list of distrust that you have had for God. Those moments where you put overconfidence in something out of context in Scripture. Those moments where you have fallen into temptation. Those many moments where you have fallen into temptation. That was all given to Jesus. That was nailed to the cross. It was buried in the tomb and it was left there and you are now, instead of being sinful, you are found to be righteous and good because Jesus has given you His record of always trusting God, of maintaining that perfect and right, balanced obedience to Him, living a life without sin. And so finally, Paul wrote, Consequently, just as the trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. The one temptation in the garden led to condemnation. Hell for all people. But Jesus does the opposite. He gives us righteousness. His death to sin and His rising so that God can declare us good because of Jesus' life given to us. And so we have life. All people have life. After 40 days and 40 nights of temptation in the wilderness, Jesus had proved his power. As He tells the devil to leave. I'm done with you. I've beaten you. I've proven it. Then our gospel reading for today concluded with the words, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So one evil angel came to tempt Jesus, and when he leaves, God sends angels, so many angels, to come and minister to him. I know they translate it attended. That really doesn't quite capture it, but it's really the ministering and serving him, strengthening him, again, body and soul, after these 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and temptation. And Jesus, in this temptation, he trusts God and his word to defend him. It is the truth of your Savior. That is what Scripture is. The written word is the truth of what your Savior has done to save you. So he is your defense for life. Plus, God has a multitude of angels that protect you. Plus, God provides you with daily food. So the overarching, the main takeaway from Jesus being in the wilderness is not to answer this question. What do I do when I'm tempted? Now, certainly a side benefit of this, and the simple answer is to protect yourself with Scripture, the way that Jesus did. But the main takeaway... The reason this is recorded in Scripture is to see what Jesus did for you. That Jesus faced the devil. He endured temptation as a human being, just as human as you are and I am. But he did not give in to it. And so, Jesus resists temptation for you so that you are now found good and righteous. Stanza 3 of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress of Our God, says this about the devil. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. Truth is, God loves you. He has defeated the power of the devil, and he provides all that you need for body and life, now and forever. Because Jesus defended us through what was written. Amen. Hi, my name is Gunnar Lederman, a pastor at Divine Peace Church Rockwall in Texas. Thanks for watching this sermon. If you'd like to watch more, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Divine Peace Church Rockwall. Thanks and God bless.